1: You have now entered the House of Mystery, with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren, on Casey.
2: One hundred six point five FM Los Angeles. One hundred two point three FM
1: Riverside. And
0: one hundred five oh AM Palm Springs. Now we have uh, Mark Shaw, author, and and he's the one that wrote the book. Thank you for being on the show.
4: Thank you. Uh, Welcome. Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you very
0: much. No, 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 Mark. It's good to have you here. Uh, what? brought you to write this book first of all like how how, what led you to, to Dorothy
4: yeah well I'm probably like a lot of your uh, listeners out there uh, who remember her from what's my line uh, CBS show on Sunday nights uh, for 15 years or so 20 million people watched that show uh, some people call it an intelligent game show uh, the guest people's occupations and Dorothy was a featured panelist on that show along with Arlene Francis and and uh, Bennett Cerf, who co-founded Random House, John Daly was the host. That's how I remembered her. And uh, so I was uh, rather uh, shocked, frankly, when uh, I was, uh, uh, this was the third book in kind of a trilogy about the JFK assassination, and I never intended to write this book because I didn't know about a certain part of Kilgallen's life. But while I was uh, uh, researching a book about uh, Melvin Belli, who I practiced law with a little bit in the 1980s in San Francisco, I. I uh, was talking to uh, with, you know people that w- would tell me about Bell Eye and so on and so forth, and there was a doctor in uh, San Diego I interviewed, and, and we were going along, and then he said, you know, uh, Bell Eye knew Dorothy Kilgallen. And I said, well, from What's My Line, he said, oh, no, Mark, uh, there was another side to her. Um, she was this uh, crack investigative reporter who uh, covered uh, the, Jack, uh, the um, Dr. Sam Shepard case uh, that became the Fugitive film. She covered the Lindbergh baby kidnapping case, and she covered the Jack Ruby trial. And I said, well, I didn't know that. And he said, yeah, it's interesting. You know, Mark, um, when uh, when she died, I was talking to Mel, and he said, my gosh, she said, that's sad. Uh, they've killed Dorothy. Now they'll go after Ruby. They've killed Dorothy. Now they'll go after Ruby. Well, that raised a red flag for me, and I wondered what that was all about. But I didn't write about it too much in that book. Then I wrote a second book about... Uh, Uh, following, Belli had an affection for the Mafia, one of his main clients was Mickey Cohen, I wondered about his representation of Jack Ruby, the next book was called The Poison Patriarch, I uh, um, took that back to Joe Kennedy's Double Cross of the Mafia that we can talk about, and so I was done, but I couldn't get that quote out of my mind, and so I started to look into Dorothy's
2: story. It's amazing how the simplest little thing can send you in a completely different direction, isn't it? It is, and you know, you guys are you guys are uh,
4: curious guys, and and you hear something like that, you know, you just think, well, gosh, you know, I I got to look into that, and it took me on roads that I never thought I would uh, travel. I felt like Dorothy was kind of leading me along toward evidence that I needed, and I can explain that to you. But yeah, that's that's what happens, you know. You you open the door, and boy, uh, it's amazing what you you end up finding.
0: Well, maybe let's tell people. Uh Exactly, a little bit about Dorothy Kilgallen. I, I, I don't think a lot of people know her, maybe other than "What's My Line."
4: Yeah, and, and what's been most interesting about the book, uh, it it's just it's been amazing in in some ways. Out uh, two months and and uh, in its fifth printing and a hundred and some reviews up on Amazon. In fact, Amazon's run out of books again and so people can't get it right away there is the Kindle and the, and the uh, audiobook but people have been fascinated to learn about a side of Dorothy Kilgallen that they they never knew about because they had this image of her and you have to th- go back and think guys about the uh, atmosphere in the late 1950s and 60s there wasn't uh, the internet of course uh, there was the infancy of television Uh, So where did people get their news? Well they got it from newspapers and they read the newspaper every day and Dorothy was syndicated uh, through the New York Journal American, her paper in New York, to 200 newspapers across the country. I mean every day people read Dorothy Kilgallen's column and then she was the crack investigative reporter that I talked about. She had a radio show every morning in New York City for two hours with her husband and all this time, you know, she, she raised three kids. I mean a remarkable woman uh, unparalleled in the history of media, Oprah, Diane Sawyer—they couldn't touch her. And and so um, people respected Dorothy. They they uh, she had an affection for the truth, uh, and and she was bigger than life back then. As I said, the New York you know Post called her the most powerful female voice in America. Ernest Hemingway said she was the greatest female writer in the world. So she was at the top of her game then and. Uh, and these days, what's fascinating is that What's My Line reruns are all over the Internet. And so, so many young people have written me who've read the book and are inspired in some ways by what Dorothy was uh, able to accomplish, especially young women and especially young women journalists.
0: Yeah, I, I was pretty uh, pretty impressed by uh, her resume. Um, uh, so, what, so what are some of the biggest stories she did? Do you think the... Um, um, what would have been the biggest stories before Jack Ruby?
4: Well, before Jack Ruby, I think, would be Dr. Sam Shepard, and that's the one that most people would be familiar with. It's a great photograph up on, uh, I want to mention the site, the DorothyKilgallanStory.org. Uh, we have a book site that I'll mention, but the DorothyKilgallanStory.org is packed with Dorothy. Uh, photographs, quotes, uh, all of her columns and articles, and all of these videotaped interviews that I can talk about in a little bit that are primary sources of what was happening in Dorothy's uh, but there's one photograph there where she's standing in the courtroom at the Dr. Sam Shepard case and all the reporters are hovered around her I mean she was the celebrity uh, then Uh, judges would call her in to get an autograph uh, before the trial happened and uh, you know it was interesting you you talk about the power that she had Uh, people may remember Dr. Sam Shepard was actually convicted of killing his wife in a sensational type of a murder case and um, Dorothy uh, was able uh, during the trial. She met the judge, and she walked when she walked into his chambers. He said, "What are you doing here?" And she said, "Well, this is a, a perfect case for me to cover. It has sex, it has violence, it has all this." And he said, "Well, Dorothy, the guy's guilty as hell." And she said, "Well, you know, I'm still going to cover the case." Well, she got that comment, and then Shepard was convicted. And then she didn't tell anybody about it until the judge died. She hid the source uh, about the comment until she ran into F. Lee Bailey, the famous lawyer who was appealing Shepard's case. And she told him what the judge had said. And they appealed the case basically uh, on, on what Kilgallen said about what the judge said. That case was overturned by the Supreme Court. And Bell, and, and Bailey uh, attributes the its overturning to... to to Dorothy Kilgallen, the power that she had and her um, credibility as a reporter in in saying what the judge did. So that's an indication, isn't it, of the power that she had at that time.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. She was right up there. And that's very unusual for a woman um, back in the 60s as well. Um, It just seemed to be a different type. She had a different agenda in a way.
4: Well, you know, we say uh, still, unfortunately, there's that feeling the women should be in the back seat. Well, back then, they were back behind the car because they were thought to be somebody that uh, should, uh, you know, never ask questions, uh, just kind of be complacent, be the mother at the, in the home. And I'm not saying those are bad things, but that was how it was looked upon. And she was a college dropout at 17. She begged her father, who was a noted, uh, gifted uh, journalist, to take her to the Journal American offices, She loved that. She dropped out of college. She started writing her articles, and within a few years, this uh, slender woman who was this great, uh, uh, you know, wore the fashions of the day and all of that, had ingratiated herself with the other male reporters and become just as respected as any reporter at that time. And then, of course, when she became a panelist on What's My Line, that just
2: elevated her stardom. that That put her more in the public attention.
4: Oh yeah, because that show was huge at the time. I don't know what you'd compare it to now, but there,
3: you know, there were only the
4: three stations or maybe there was only two at that point. But for 20 million people to watch that show on uh, Sunday nights, that made her a celebrity. And that gave her, you know, along with her credibility as a reporter, that gave her the bully pulpit. That gave her the credibility she had the best sources. And you'll see how important that is when we get to talking about the JFK assassination because uh, people trusted Dorothy and it was interesting guys that she could straddle that fence between being a game show panelist celebrity and being a respected journalist which couldn't have been easy at the time uh, but she was able to do that
2: if we had to compare with somebody today I would have to compare her with Leah Remini you know she was known as a very popular you know, co-star in a comedy show which gave her the public attention, and now she's reporting on the Church of Scientology.
4: Good point. Good point. There, there, you have somebody else that's been able to, you know, elevate their credibility uh, somehow or another, despite having a a background that would make people uh, wonder about whether you know they ought to pay attention to them. That's an excellent example.
0: Let's set up um, her life a little bit, so. Um, before she got on to Jack Ruby and the JFK assassination, um, what was her situation? Uh, paint the picture of where she lived, her family.
4: Well, Dorothy, uh, they lived on East uh, 68th Street in New York City in Manhattan, uh, not a few blocks uh, away from the Russian embassy that was right in that area and all of that. And uh, she married a Broadway producer named Richard Colmer, K-O-L-L-M-A-R. Uh, he, was, he was pretty well known. He had played Boston Blackie, uh, the uh, detective on radio, and he'd had some hit uh, tel- uh, Broadway shows. Uh, everything was just real chummy. On the Dorothy Kilgallen you'll actually see an interview with Edward R. Murrow, who had the popular person-to-person show at the time. And she sits there with Richard in their lavish uh, mansion, townhouse, and uh, she's there with two of the children, young Carrie, and Jill uh, and the uh, third one Dicky uh, Dickie is off at a private school and they're just the happiest family uh, that you could possibly uh, find now unfortunately Richard hit a downhill stretch uh, he is Broadway plays didn't do well he opened two or three restaurants that didn't do well uh, he started to have some alcoholic problems and um, um, really uh, as I say went downhill and so he and Dorothy kind of went their separate ways uh, because As one of the hairdressers will say, she was very lonely. There wasn't any affection there. He was running around on her. And so she sought sought some companionship herself. Uh, The first person was Johnny Ray, who was a well-known singer at the time, the little white cloud that cried and all that, known to be a homosexual. But obviously he was a bisexual because uh, he and Kilgallen fell madly in love. Uh, That uh, relationship ended, and as of uh, November 1963, uh, 1965 came along, she was in a relationship with a Columbus, Ohio journalist uh, named Ron Pataki that we'll have to talk about because, frankly, he's the main suspect in her death. Uh, so that kind of fills you in. Uh, there there was some uh, problems in the marriage, and unfortunately, two, I think two to three years after Dorothy died, uh, Richard died as well, and the, and the uh, official uh, uh, cause was said to be a stroke, but most people believe that he committed suicide. So it was a tough time for the kids, and uh... they don't have a lot of great memories of the last uh... years of their parents life although uh... now with dorothy's uh, story being told i think they'll be much more proud of their mother than they they ever could have been before
0: now her relationship with johnny ray um, she even we were talking about her power and just as a person in 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 the Mm sixties with with newspapers but she had a she, she helped him get off because he was actually arrested. That was before it was legal to be homosexual.
4: Yeah, and you have to, you know, have to ask yourself, you know, here was a, a famous celebrity like her, and you would think that in that day and age when homosexuality was a, a no-no, uh, wasn't even talked about or anything, uh, she got away with it. She went around with him in the, in the Broadway scene and in restaurants, and they were seen drinking together and having a, you know, a wonderful, wonderful time. And um, then, you know, uh, she showed her power again. He was arrested in Detroit for a homosexual act. She felt like it was unfounded. Uh, She went to the court. She was there with him. And most people believe that the acquittal of Johnny Ray was based on the celebrity status of Dorothy Kilgallen. So, you know, that again shows her power. And. I should have said too, when she covered these trials, like Johnny's or Sam Shepard's or the Lindbergh baby kidnapping case and the Ruby case, oh, it's just amazing to read her columns, which are on that website I mentioned, and see this gifted wordsmith. I mean, if I could write, this is my 25th book. If I could have written like she does, I'd have had 25 bestsellers because. That she brings uh, those trials alive, Uh, you feel like you're right there, that you're touching Sam Shepard or, um, you know, uh, the Lindbergh uh, kidnapping uh, uh, suspect and all of that. So, uh, people, I think, when they read the book, will get to read. They will get to read some of that writing uh, about those cases, and I think they'll be uh, absolutely amazed at the the gifted uh, wordsmith that she was.
0: Yeah, I found that to be one of the best parts of the book and I, I don't mean that to say it was <laughs> something wrong with it but I mean they, they were it was a real highlight um, yeah. the samples that you have of her writing
4: yes uh, and I wanted to do that you know I my books uh, I really look for the truth and and uh, I, this book uh, is worse than all I mean some people have criticized me for including her Uh, love affairs and things like that but that's all part of Dorothy and that's the part that I wanted to uh, focus on but I was uh, I was uh, completely uh, committed to uh, you know to including in the book uh, some of that writing acumen of hers because it's very very special
0: yeah she definitely had a way with words I agree uh, totally Um, Now, how did she oh actually I was gonna also we should mention that um, she was actually at the inauguration of Kennedy and she was kinda friends with him too, wasn't she?
4: Well you hit a real important point in in the book and I think you and Kevin uh, will be most interested to know about that because um, Bennett Cerf said about Kilgallen when she went after a story nothing could stop her and that was really true and in this situation she and JFK were social friends she knew him at the Stork Club in New York City and um, he had come to her home uh, to play charades and all of that, but uh, at one point uh, she took her son, young son Kerry, was in the third grade at the time, to the White House, and uh, JFK befriended Kerry. Uh, he, was, he was brought into the library, and JFK gave him a PT-109 uh, pin for his lapel, looked at some letters that Kerry had brought from his third grade class, And so when when JFK uh, died, uh, I won't have the exact quote, but she wrote something in her column like, uh, what I remember is a tall man stooping over a young boy looking at his grade uh, three class uh, letters. That's the man that was um, uh, assassinated in Dallas. And she took that personally, and that's what really launched this 18-month investigation that she had to find the truth out about what happened to her friend, the President.
0: Yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty intriguing. How, you know, she actually went to Dallas and looked around and um, and went to Jack Ruby's trial, didn't she?
4: Yeah, and Dorothy right away, I think, uh, was uh, as as you'll read from the columns that are on that website, the Dorothy Kilgallen dot org. You'll see that right away, she was dubious of this Oswald alone theory. The first column she wrote was Oswald file must not close, and she went from there. She figured out right away that Oswald was a dead end. There was so much information about him conflicting and everything else that he wasn't the real key to finding out what happened. The real key was Jack Ruby. And so uh, on the website you'll see that she ingratiated herself with the uh, defense of Melvin Belli and Joe Tonahill. There's a video of her sitting right there with uh, Belli and Tonahill at a press conference that they had um you know and then uh you'll see a video of Tana talking about her interviews with her interview with Jack Ruby uh how that happened what Ruby thought of her um you know and where the interview took place and uh it, whether it was a serious interview and all of that so right away that's where she was headed and uh we don't know exactly what Ruby told her but we do know uh where she headed uh, right after uh, she um Uh, not only uh, interviewed Ruby but also exposed his uh, Warren Commission testimony before it was supposed to be released she didn't head for Washington DC where you know the government was and the CIA and all that she didn't go to Dallas where LBJ was she didn't go to do any of that she went to New Orleans and that's where she was trying to track down evidence about Carlos Marcello who was one of the um, mafioso who hated the Kennedys uh, most and so uh, we know that all about her, and then we can kind of trace the steps up to when she died in 1965.
0: Yeah, that was—I I just think that was pretty, pretty amazing, actually. Being able to interview uh, Ruby—that was that was a feat as well.
4: Well, again, you have to think of, of, of her stature and. Uh, you know, uh, Ruby. Uh, you know, uh, just you know, had a lot of respect for her, and and uh, whatever for whatever reason, then Tonahill set it up, and they were able to talk, and so that was a real feather in her cap, as you can imagine, at that particular time. And then when she just exploded on the front page of her newspaper, uh, Ruby's testimony before the Warren Commission. You have to think that was probably like the exposure of the of the Nixon tapes, or or uh, you know, other kind of things that could have happened in, in terms of uh, exposing government secrets and things like that, because she was able to do that. And that's really when uh, it, it became more of a dangerous situation for her, because there were those who did not want her to expose the truth, and uh, that's what Dorothy was going to do. It
0: seemed like, um, to me, that um, there were other people, too, like um, uh, Hoover and... Um, uh, they 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 sort of wanted to go with Oswald as the lone killer right away, even before the Warren Commission.
4: Oh, you you just you know you you can't emphasize that enough. Uh, I've come to respect uh, J Edgar Hoover and despise him at the same time because he was a smart guy. You know, when uh, when JFK was killed, uh, there's two ways to go. One, it can possibly be a conspiracy, uh, which means that uh, Hoover is complicit. Uh, he, he's he's. Uh, you know, he's somebody who should have stopped that with his FBI and all of that kind of thing, and so he can have some responsibility. Or you go with uh, just uh, shouting to the world that it's this guy, this uh, nut, who uh, killed the president, and uh, if that's the case, then you don't have any responsibility at all because nobody could stop that. Well, of course, he was smart enough to know you go with the nut, and that was Lee Harvey Oswald. And uh, so right from the beginning, he was shouting this to the world and frankly, all of, everybody was buying it, and he then railroaded the Warren Commission, and so everybody was looking in the wrong direction. They all looked at Oswald, and they didn't look in Ruby's uh, direction, and that's where uh, Dorothy differed from all of these other reporters, because she focused in on Ruby, and so, uh, as you can imagine, that made her an enemy of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Hoover, uh, and, uh, you know, in the book, it's, it's kind of set up as a true crime murder mystery. He's one of the suspects that I believe could have ended uh, Kilgallen's life. And readers can make up their mind as to, as to whether that's true or not.
2: Well, if I can kind of jump in to the conspiracy puddle for just a moment. We had so many conspiracies going on at the time. Um, for example, you had the Manchurian Candidate which they believe that Jack Ruby may have been. Did she ever get involved in that type of conspiracy?
4: Well, Kevin, there's been so much so much speculation out there, you know, and uh, I'm really careful to only use primary sources, people who were there who can say what happened and all of that, and that's what uh, a lot of these videos and other things we have in the book are there. Uh, no, I, I, I don't think Dorothy would have uh, gone that direction. She was doing what I used to do as a former criminal defense lawyer. She was looking at motive and I think that she discovered first of all that Belli's defense of Ruby was tainted this insanity defense that he projected not letting Ruby testify she wondered about that she knew about his mafia affiliations with Mickey Cohen and all these other guys so she questioned that then she got into Ruby and she thought to herself well wait a minute Um, what's the motive for uh, for Ruby, killing Oswald, and she had to say to herself, look, uh, that guy had to be silenced. This is just like a mafia hit. I mean, somebody shoots somebody, and I think Oswald was probably part of this, but then he's a loose cannon. He's a loose screw who can talk about who who uh, ordered him to do that or who, who recruited him to do that. So you bring in Ruby, and uh, then Ruby uh, could could also... Uh, be a, somebody who could talk about this too much so you bring in Belli and you basically just silence uh, uh, Ruby by not letting him testify and making him look crazy and everything and then that buttons up everything well who has the most to gain from that? whoever masterminded the JFK assassination and from whatever she learned with uh, from, from Ruby and her own uh, sources that she had which were the best of the time she honed in then on Carlos Marcello and that's why she went to... Uh, uh, to New Orleans, because, as I said, uh, Marcello, you know, was uh, back against the wall. They had deported him once. They were going to deport him against. As November ninth uh, again, as November 63 came up, he was in a uh, New Orleans courtroom defending himself against a racketeering charge. Well, he couldn't let that happen. He couldn't let Dorothy go ahead, in my opinion, with writing this book and exposing his involvement in the JFK assassination. So he was the one with the motive who had to first of all say I gotta get rid of Jack Kennedy so Bobby Kennedy is powerless and that's what he did and then he decided I can't let Dorothy Kilgallen expose me as being involved in the JFK assassination I'm gonna have to get rid of her and I'll tell you how I think that happened in terms of silencing Kilgallen
0: I have to say um, she had more than just the one enemy sort of thing but she also had fights with um, Frank Sinatra um, she had her list of enemies. So how do, how do you narrow down on which one you think it is?
4: Well, the way I did it was again to uh, you first look at motive, and then you look at um, you know the, the plausibility of what happened. Uh, you know, I've tried when I talked about the JFK assassination in these three books, I've tried to be very logical, so there aren't very many layers of what happened. You know, Joe Kennedy double crosses the mafia. Joe Kennedy orders JFK to appoint Bobby. Bobby goes after Marcello and the other people. Well, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out that you've got to get rid of, uh, you got to make Bobby Kennedy powerless. Uh, and, and so I think that is very logical in terms of, of, of what happened there. And then you look at the Kilgallen situation, and it just fits in there. I mean, Kilgallen was 52 years old when she died, JFK was 46. In my opinion,
1: ...to find out if it's right for you.
4: these two deaths are completely connected. The mysteries of both of them are, are, are connected. And so uh, the thing to do is to use some just common sense logic and say to yourself, hey, uh, you know, what's plausible here? And not go astray too far, uh, as many people have done. Many JFK books have been written, many of them, most of them. Uh, there's only one, I mm-hmm. think, that even mentions Dorothy Kilgallen. And then you narrow down the sources, I mean the uh, suspects. Yes, she and and Frank Sinatra hated each other. She wrote some (laughs) scathing columns about his girlfriends being floozies and all this other kind of stuff. He uh, retorted by calling her a woman who didn't have a chin in his nightclub act. He would say, let's stop and buy Dorothy a chin. Then she wrote another uh, scathing article, so he sent a, a fake tombstone to her office. They did not like each other.
0: We mentioned J. Edgar Hoover,
4: he? Wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we mentioned J. Edgar Hoover. He had all of the motives to get rid of Kilgallen because if she had exposed all of her JFK assassination uh, evidence and pointed to him as as just being a bit of a cover up in terms of what happened by shouting the Oswald of theory, alone uh, theory, um, he could have been in trouble. Marcello is the other one. I also bring into to the to the um, equation uh, Dorothy's husband. Uh, because of their uh, marital problems and her um, not being able to trust him, even though he knew some about the assassinations. And then the fifth one, as I say, is this Ron Pataki, the journalist who I believe was implicated in her death as well. So those are the logical suspects. I present the evidence against them. I present the uh, forensic evidence that points to Kilgallen being killed, and then people can make up their own mind as to what they think happened.
0: So let's talk about that last night that she was alive. Um, Exactly how did how did it go down?
4: Dorothy, uh, we first hear Mike, uh, first watch Mark Sinclair talk about getting her ready for that "What's My Line" program on November the seventh. He finds some fake uh, flowers in the uh, in the uh, lobby. He brings them up. He puts them in a hairpiece for Dorothy. He gets her makeup and eyelashes ready. She's going to wear this. flowing gown which she was famous for when she was on the show Um, and then Sinclair leaves and then we see her pop up on What's My Line Sinclair notices she's not wearing the uh, the uh, snazzy dress anymore she's wearing kind of a date type dress Uh, she's on that program she's sharp she guesses the occupation of a woman who sells dynamite who will come into play in a little bit
2: Oh Wow Uh, she's
4: just uh, amazing on the show and then afterwards Um, Well, first of all, uh, Sinclair notices the difference in the dress on the show and wonders what's going on there, and speculates that she's going to meet with Ron Pataki, uh, this lover that she had, to confront him about the possibility that he may have been leaking some of her JFK assassination evidence to the wrong person. She goes with this producer, Bob Bach to a a P.J. Clarks tavern in New York City. We then know that she leaves there and goes to the Regency Hotel, a uh, bar which is about six blocks away from where she lives uh, Catherine Stone who was the woman who sold dynamite uh, contested on the show sees her in the corner with a mystery type man she can't tell who he is they're right together and they're talking very seriously uh, our opinion is based on the interviews with Pataki and uh, some incriminating evidence against him that he is the man that was there uh, what we know then is that she was seen there about two o'clock in the morning We don't know how she got back to her townhouse, but the next morning at 9 o'clock, Mark Sinclair, in a very uh, shocking uh, videotaped interview, talks about finding her body, as I said, in the bedroom uh, that she never slept in. Uh, I believe in the book I've proven that uh, there's no question that it wasn't suicide, it wasn't accidental death, as the uh, uh, medical examiner uh, concluded, but murder and the murder weapon was uh, barbiturates. Uh, the autopsy report said there was one. My forensic evidence uh, through uh, primary sources that were around at that time is that there were three in her uh, system um, and uh, based on that uh, accidental death and, uh, and, and uh, suicide go out the window and uh, there's no question in my mind that Dorothy was in fact the reporter who knew too much, who knew too much and that she was murdered.
2: So the official cause of death would have been drug overdose.
4: Yeah, and and let me just ask you this, you guys, you're you're logical fellows, smart guys. If you read a uh, conclusion about a person's death and it said this, a combination of barbiturates and uh, alcohol and then a colon, circumstances undetermined, wouldn't you want to investigate what the heck they meant by circumstances undetermined? Well, of course you would. Right. And yet, that didn't happen. And and the reason that it didn't happen is because I believe the connection between Marcello, uh, the gangster Frank Costello in New York, who was his best friend, Pataki being involved, and then, as I said, the Brooklyn DA's, uh, Brooklyn uh, Medical Examiner's Office coming into this, uh, a mafia controlled office, it all just came together. No investigation. Um, People bought the story. Nobody stood up for Kilgallen, her family, her friends, her colleagues on What's My Line? Journalists, nobody. They just thought to themselves, well, you know, this must be what happened, and the case was closed, and that was it until now.
0: I want to bring that up, too. You mentioned the um, Brooklyn. Now, she died in Manhattan, so it wasn't really the medical examiner that should have been uh, examined. Exactly.
4: Yeah. You're, you're being way too smart about this, uh, Al, I'm telling you, because, and Kevin, you realize too, I mean, it made no sense whatsoever unless it was meant to be, unless it was directed, unless it was part of this whole scheme to silence Kilgallen, um, and then uh, case, uh, case closed, nobody's going to ask any questions, and then I say, say the killers won here, uh, because Kilgallen's uh, file disappeared. Uh, she's disappeared for 50 years. She's not even close to being included in any of the JFK assassination books, even though she's the most credible reporter who ever covered them. So they all won uh, the worst form of censorship. But uh, by golly, uh, through, uh, I, I hope, uh, what I've been able to uncover about her, the research and the truth about what happened to Dorothy, and now this investigation by the DA, we're going we're gonna to find out what really happened back then.
0: And I want to talk about Bennett Surf. Now, he was uh, um, on the White Smiley Line show as well, but he was actually the co-founder of uh, Random Books. Random
4: House, yeah. Yeah. Random House, and he's the one that hired her to write the book about the JFK assassination. Um, You know, he he believed after she died that something was wrong, but I think they just just didn't. uh, Maybe they were scared because they knew powerful forces had gotten to Dorothy and... Uh, if they could get to Dorothy, they could get to her. The hairdressers talk about how scared they were. I just talked to a gentleman this morning, uh, who I'm going to be interviewed with uh, by on on uh, Thursday in New York City. He was telling me he's a criminal defense lawyer. He told me he had a great friend that was um, uh, worked worked with uh, Dorothy, and uh, mm-hmm. that guy thought that she was murdered. And he said, "Well, you know, why do, why don't you go to the police?" And the guy said, "You got to be crazy. I'm not going to get killed myself." And so. There was a lot of people that were very scared about what happened. Now, Bennett Cerf should have not been one of those, but he didn't question the death. Um, he, was, he was just one of those people who thought, well, you know, uh, I guess De- Dorothy overdosed and drank too much and so that's that and that's really unfortunate that nobody stood up for.
0: Her. Well, was, was she on prescriptions from the doctor? Was she taking some sort of uh, medication or something and was she known as a drinker yeah. then?
4: no uh, you know there's really no evidence that she had an, any kind of alcoholic problem that was her husband's problem uh, she had a prescription for second all they found a empty bottle of pills uh, by her bed but uh, when uh, the they talked to the pharmacist he told her that that had been about 30 days earlier she got them so apparently they were almost gone yeah uh, on what the time. they found though uh, I don't want to give it away too much because I want people to make up their own mind in the book but you will see evidence of two more barbiturates that were found in her system uh, by some toxicologists at the medical examiner's office in Brooklyn 2 years later uh, they had, had been able to save some of her bodily uh, fluids and uh, they were so scared that they didn't let anybody know about that so there was a cover up in 63 a cover or 65 a cover up in 67 and uh, nothing was done about it but she did have that uh, prescription and uh, for whatever reason uh, you know uh, at that time, at least, they thought that that might be the cause of death. But later on, it was proven that uh, that uh, she had more barbiturates in her system. And there's a very unique aspect of that that I'll leave for the readers so that they can make up their own mind as to uh, why I believe there's no question at all, no question, that she was murdered.
2: Well, you said something very key just now that I, I kind of honed in on. 65... And then you mentioned 67. Was there a reason to reopen the case in 67?
4: No, not at all. Uh, You know, again, in the book, I I pride myself on primary sources, and I was able to track down uh, Chris Broach, who was the son of John Broach, who was a toxicologist at the New York Medical Center in Brooklyn. And he said that there was another uh, doctor there uh, that his father worked with, uh, Chris did, and uh, it was Dr. Umberger, Charles Umberger. And uh, Umberger was one of these guys who kept bodily fluids, believing that maybe the technology would get better where they could do better testing. So two, I think it is, or three years later, uh, they had kept this and uh, John Broach did uh, some tests and found the evidence of these three barbiturates uh, in her system. And it's most interesting because one other physician who was there at the time was Dr. Uh, Michael Bodden who became famous, you know, for the, uh, uh, for the um, uh, let's see, the Jackson murder, uh, the mm-hmm. Jackson, suicide, Jackson death, and many others. And they all concluded at that time that uh, there was no question that uh, Kilgallen's death was a homicide. And uh, though the problem was that, uh, again, they were all scared to bring that evidence forward, and it got suppressed. And so um, nobody knew about it until many, many years later, uh, and and uh, John, uh, Chris Grosch says that John Broche told him too. At times they were asked to falsify autopsies. They were asked to manipulate evidence. They had trouble figuring out what dead body was what dead body was a mess in that office. And that led to all of the confusion and then the, uh, I think, cover-up by the medical examiner's
2: office. Well, that leads to the obvious question. Who was doing the asking and who was doing the threatening?
4: Yeah, I think uh, what you, what you do, again, is you watch the thread here. You watch the thread from Belli to Ruby, from uh, Ruby to Kilgallen, Kilgallen then, uh, New Orleans to Marcello. And if people feel like I'm right about Marcello probably being the main suspect, then you look at Ron Pataki's, uh, he had some contacts with uh, uh, Mafioso, he had kind of a, a violent background, So you could see then Marcello finding somebody like, uh, like Pataki who could get into Kilgallen's inner circle and find out what she was uh, investigating and what her conclusions were. And then you'd have Marcello using his best friend Frank Costello, the gangster, the Don of New York City. And, you know, it's not hard to believe that at some particular point that uh, Carcello decided, Marcello tried to put the, decided to put the hit on Kilgallen. Uh, they use Costello, they use uh, Pataki, and they use the medical examiner's office in Brooklyn. Kilgallen's drink, either at the Regency Hotel or at home, is spiked with these barbiturates. She's dead, and the uh, the case is closed, and that's the end of it. And so I think that's a pretty logical progression as to what could have happened to Kilgallen here.
0: I was going to say, I also noticed how you bring up Marilyn Monroe in the situation, and how... Mm-hmm. Uh, they are both ended up with similar deaths.
4: Yeah, people have asked me about the similarities there. And uh, for one thing, they'll be interested in the book, and you read it, Al. Uh, Kilgallen, when uh, Marilyn died, wrote a very, very special column about her uh, and how what a wonderful person she was and star and how much she'd given to the world and everything. But she also questioned Marilyn's death because Marilyn was found uh, in a little bit of a similar situation in a bedroom alleged to have been a, a, a drug overdose and all of that uh, people have asked whether there's a connection there and again, um, the similarities are there with the death scene uh, but uh, and I think there were some suspicious uh, there was some suspicious nature to uh, Maryland's uh, death scene as well but I've never been able to uh, connect the two or to find primary sources like the ones I have for. Kilgallen's death uh, existing regarding Maryland's death, and so um, that's not something I've investigated, other people have, and I don't know that they've come to any real conclusions as to what happened. Of course they suspect the Kennedys and so on and so forth, but a lot of that's just speculation.
2: So if I'm following this thread correctly, let's, let's go back a little further than Jack Ruby. Would it be logical, using the evidence that you have given, to connect the JFK assassination to the mob?
4: Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. You know, again, just, you know, um, it's interesting, uh, who was it that I was reading the other day? Oh, Nancy Pelosi, of all people. Oh, no. Well, uh, you'll find this interesting, I'm not a big Nancy fan, but that's okay. But Anyway, uh, she said, you know, hey, wait a minute, This the JFK assassination was just a, hit, a mafia hit. Well, it, it doesn't make sense that it was. I mean, just look at what happened. You've got the motive that uh, JFK's got to go because Bobby needs to be powerless, so he leave the mafia alone. And then you bring in, uh, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald is kind of this patsy that he said he was, and he's part of this whole thing. Uh, they, he gets arrested, so they got a person there, but... I think what they expected probably was that he'd be killed, but he wasn't killed, so now he's a loose cannon. So now you bring in Ruby, whose mafia association is known in Dallas, and, and I think Dorothy connected him with Marcello. And so Ruby, you know, anybody that believes that was a coincidence, getting into the basement at Dallas Police Headquarters is, is uh, needs to be in a mental hospital. I mean, it's just you can see that that was supposed to happen. He kills Oswald, so he's dead. Then they bring in uh, the, the mafia lawyer, Belli, and he silences Ruby, and everything is just rosy, except for what? One reporter, Dorothy Kilgallen, the only one who was shouting that all this didn't make sense and going to write a book about it. So what do you do with her? You get rid of her up as well. You shut sure. her up.
0: Sort sure, disillusioning uh, because back then you'd think things were all good, and <laughs> it wasn't.
4: Oh, but now look at look at what's going on today. Look at you guys. You're you're uh, you're on the air. You're trying to uh, uh, provide the audience with the truth as to what's happened with regard to a number of things. You're putting yourself at risk, and today that is a risk. It's a risk with all journalists out there. It's a risk with radio talk show hosts. Um, you know, it's it's a risk because you're putting yourself out there, and there may be people, especially in this kind of atmosphere that we have these days with all the violence and everything who won't agree with what you're doing and what's the e- what's the best way to shut you up well that's to get rid of you and so I don't know that things have changed a lot it's the same situation uh, back in Dorothy's time and and I have such respect for journalists and, and talk show hosts and authors who stick their neck out because they've got to know these days that if they do especially now uh, that they're putting themselves in danger
2: yeah or they will marginalize you
4: well, throw mud at you, they can do that. Yeah. They can, uh, you know, fortunately, here's, here's a good thing, something that really bothers me, and that's with Dorothy. Uh, you know, there was no evidence she was an alcoholic, no evidence she was a drug addict. So you would think that people would say, wait a minute, that's not the Dorothy Kilgallen we know. But our tendency is to think the worst about people at times. If somebody said that, uh, you know, Al uh, was a bank robber in his past, or he had... You know done some things that way uh, you know to to uh, muddy what he's saying you would hope Al that people would say well you know that's not the Al that I know he's not the guy who would run off and leave his wife and kids and do you know whatever it may be Uh, you too Kevin if they say things about you uh, that's the easy way to uh, to muddy what is the truth but it happens uh, far too often and it's still happening today
0: yeah yeah that's right it seems to be the actually the focus um, is more about what they can say negative Mm -hmm. about you than really what you're
2: saying
4: yeah and and I've had people who have have done that with with me Uh, there's there's one gentleman who's writing a a book about the the, about what's my line and uh, uh, he wants to, uh, in my opinion, distort a lot of what uh, the, the, the real truth is about Dorothy in this book that he may be writing. And I've told him, I've said, you know, uh, here, look at everything that uh, uh, my research has shown. Uh, at least tell both sides of the story, because for whatever reason, you have got this, uh, this um, attitude towards Dorothy that uh, is so negative and wanting to bring up some things that just are not factual. But why is he doing that? He's doing that because he wants to sell books. And he thinks the sensationalism there is what will do that. And I've been begging him to reconsider and at least present both sides of the story. Now, fortunately, my book is out there, and and there's almost 10,000 of them out there now. So hopefully, if that book comes out, people will stop and think a little bit. But this is what happens, uh, and and there are those people who think I should have left this alone, I shouldn't have uh, gotten into Dorothy's story, and have asked whether I've been threatened and things like that. Well, I don't like to get into that, but uh, that's going to happen any time uh, that you're trying to, to tell the truth about
2: something. Oh, yeah. Well, well, what is the threat today? I mean, if people are warning you to stay away from this story, don't get into this, what is the threat today? I mean, it's 2017.
4: Well, you just you just can't tell with people. You know, I've gotten some very strange emails and uh, uh, people uh, who, who uh, just believe that, uh, hey, we're getting back into this JFK assassination and it was Lee Harvey Oswald and you shouldn't be looking in any other direction. It just confuses the American people with what you're reporting. I mean, it's those kinds of uh, objections uh, to, you know, people have read the book and just said, uh, and m- for the most part, 95% people have been very much in support of what I've written and, and the investigation and everything else, but there are those people who want to say, uh, you know, this is not something you should have touched, this is something you should have left alone, and uh, you're just, uh, you know, you're wrong about these things, and you're confusing people about what happened with the JFK assassination, it was Lee Harvey Oswald, and that's the end of it, stop what you're doing. Well, I'm not going to stop what I'm doing, but I, I try to understand what they're saying and try to reason with them. But I've had uh, I've had some people that don't want to hear that. That's for sure.
2: Wow. Even to the even to this day.
4: Even to this day, you know, uh, the two hairdressers. Uh, one of them uh, interviewed in 2005. The interviewer asked him, uh, Why didn't you come forward? And he said he was scared. And uh, the interviewer then says, Well, are you scared now? And he says, Yes. That's in 2005.
0: Oh. he even mentioned that she um, she wanted to get a gun
4: yeah uh, he did and uh, I think that's I think that's very credible uh, she changed her will she was worried about her son uh, Carrie being kidnapped she she knew she was in danger uh, but I think she thought she was invincible that nobody could touch her. And, you know, a very, and I don't want to take credit for this because it's not right to do so. I, I was in an interview the other day, and uh, one of the uh, hosts of the show said, well, you know, have you considered the fact that uh, those people that were involved in the JFK assassination, they didn't want any more written about all this. And there were other some other journalists who were on the fringes who were looking into it a bit as well, not as much as Dorothy. But they said, you know what, what you could do here if you wanted to? You get rid of Dorothy Kilgallen the most Mm. powerful female voice in America and this big celebrity. And it's a warning to every other journalist to stop, to stop any investigation that they have. And you know, that that has some credibility to it. Yes.
0: Well, uh, this is just so interesting and we're already out of time. So um, I'm going to have to wrap this up. But uh, this has been a great interview. Our guest has been Mark Shaw. The book is The Reporter Who Knew Too Much. Thank you for being on the show.
4: Well, thank you, Kevin, and thank you, Al. And uh, if it's okay, if there's some updates on the JFK—excuse me, on the uh, uh, DA investigation—I'll come back and uh, give you that update.
2: Oh, we'd love it. But that would be great. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com.
1: Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.
2: I'll be back. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.
3: wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com
1: You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com